The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, hello, all, and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard, and I'm joined by my colleague, Tim Foster. Hi, John. And our special guest today is Assemblymember Ash Collar of the 27th District, a San Jose Democrat who is authoring, uh, one among many, but I think the principal author of probably the major bill of the year so far, and it was AB 1400, which deals with single-payer health care. Uh, Ash, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I, you know, I guess the first and obvious question is, what would the bill do? If it took effect right now, how would we notice a difference? What would happen? Well, what this bill does, it designs the single-payer system. This is a policy bill that establishes um, what a single-payer single system design would mean for California. That includes what the governance structure would be, you know, the appointees, what have you, um, what services would be guaranteed, as well as um, you know, how, how you would pay service providers. And so it really is the nuts and bolts of a single-payer system. What it doesn't have in this bill is two critical uh, components, which is dealing with some of the constitutional issues that arise whenever you're trying to create a, a, a large um, resourced entity like this, as well as the funding mechanisms. So that is in a separate, those both are in a separate uh, piece of legislation, ACA 11, but this bill, AB 1400, deals with the, the policy of single-payer health care. And the way it's set up is there'd be, a, as I understand it, there would be a, an advisory board or sort of a superintendent board of several people who would oversee the program CalCare. And then if I went to my dentist or I went to a physician or I went to emergency, I would have, a, I would have billing directly through that CalCare system. And I would I maybe carry a card or have some sort of identification or something. Um, it, it's been split. You mentioned there's a separate uh, constitutional amendment, uh, 11, ACL 11, I believe, that's out there. Uh, if this, if AB 1400 is approved, then that constitutional amendment has to go to, as all do, has to go to a vote of the people to see if they would approve that. I've seen that described as a major tax hike in total dollars, $168 billion. Now, I think the, the full healthcare system is about $400 billion. So there's a lot less, actually, in that potential tax increase in terms of raw dollars than exists in the system now. Is that, is that fair to say? Well, yeah. So there's a couple of ways of looking at it. Um, you know, the reality is right now we pay the, uh, the biggest health tax in the world. Uh, it, as individuals and as employers, it comes in the forms of premiums, deductibles, and copays. But you know, right now in 2022, it's expected that Californian businesses and um, and families are going to spend 220 billion dollars for healthcare. So when you look at what the proposed tax um, mechanisms would be, and, and there's estimates of 160, 170, you know, in that range, is far less than what we're paying right now. Um, the current cost for our healthcare system is estimated to be over half a trillion dollars this year. And so the, the reality is that even under our current system, most of the money is coming from state and federal funds. And so what we're talking about is that 70% or so that comes from state and federal funds to continue 
to invest that money and have it go into CalCare. And the Delta is what we'd have to raise in taxation. And then you won't have to pay premiums, co-pays, and deductibles. So those that are saying, oh, you're adding a tax, this tax is not additive. It's, it's in place of what we're currently spending. And that's why uh, it's less than mm-hmm. what families, businesses are paying right now. Mm-hmm. Of course, the, the word tax is a very easy one politically to, fe- you know, to strike fear into folks. And so I get the common question. I can't believe you're going to tax me on top of how much I already get taxed. What they don't say is that, well, yeah, but your current healthcare costs would go away. It would be replaced by a progressive taxation mechanism. You've got a major vote coming up on this uh, in a few days. Is that correct? Yeah. The, right now, AB 1400 has to be heard and off the floor of the assembly by January 31st, which is Monday. And so we only have two uh, sessions, <laughs> the Thursday uh, and uh, Monday. So Monday is really the last day to yeah. get this through. You know, you've got, it seems like you've got every major well-financed, well-heeled opponent out there against the bill. And you have cities and counties, lots of labor folks in favor of it, but you've got the HMO people, you've got the California Medical Association, California, the California Chamber of Commerce. Um, You've got lots of medical groups, KP, uh, excuse me, Kaiser Permanente, uh, which has sort of a amalgam sort of a system, I guess, of hospitals and insurance, sort of one big pot. Uh, they don't like it either. Doesn't seem like a whole lot of people like your bill that have money to spend against it. What? Well, how do you expect to fight those guys? The ones that don't like the bill are the ones making money off our current system. I mean, mm-hmm. the reality is, if you're talking about a system that's over half a trillion dollars a year, so over 500 billion a year, uh, and single payer is estimated to be around 400 billion a year. Uh, well, that's a lot of money that's going somewhere, and it's going to those that are going to fight this bill, you know, to the bitter end. And they're going to lie about it. They're going to deceive voters about it. They're already starting to do that. And so we, we, we knew, you know, when I introduced the bill, I knew that was going to happen. Um, uh-huh. The reason why single payer has not been instituted in, in this nation, even though there's been uh, many attempts over the decades. Uh, and it gets harder and harder the longer we wait because the profiteering continues to grow. And we're talking about incredibly wealthy uh, individuals running incredibly incredibly powerful, wealthy corporations that, you know, whose bottom line is what what their bank account and what Wall Street uh, sees uh, in, in the benefit of these corporations. Uh, that's why you have insurance companies telling doctors and overriding doctors uh, on what they recommend a patient needs for their patient care or saying they won't pay for a for certain pharmaceutical that's recommended for treatment. Uh, that is not healthcare. Uh, you know that that is a for-profit system that's run amok. But there's no other place in the world that has it like this. We not only spend more than any other nation in the world for healthcare, uh, we spend more public money than anyone else in the world for healthcare. Think about that. Per capita, we spend more public money than anywhere else in the world. Yet we don't have single payer. We don't. We have millions that don't have healthcare. And so it's, you know, and part of that reason is that our public money is feeding into a system that is unsustainable and that is being dictated by the profit, uh, the, the private uh, profit takers. Are there any yeah. models out? Oh, go ahead, Jeff. So to say to put that in perspective a little bit, uh, you mentioned that this is, uh, that there have been efforts to do this before. And my memory is that this goes all the way back to the Truman administration where 
uh, circa 1947, I think they were the first ones to really push for a single payer health care system. And at that time, it was very, very popular. And uh, the American Medical Association of the time uh, came out with, as I have read, the first national issue campaign sort of to turn Americans against uh, single payer health care, calling it, you know, communist takeover of your health care. And they were successful. And the, you know, the the positive viewpoint, the polling on it really, really dropped. And I think that there has been multiple, multiple efforts. I, I can think of at least five times in my lifetime when it someone was pushing it pretty, pretty hard. So yours is the latest effort. Now, one one thing I'm hoping you can talk about, there was an effort uh, that was also led by the California Nurses Association just a few years ago to get a single payer bill on. Can you talk about how your bill is different from that bill? Absolutely. So it was five years ago, there was SB 562 um, that was authored by, at that time, Senator Ricardo Lara. Uh, and there are a lot of differences. There's a reason why this bill that I've introduced is making its way through assembly committees um, with the support of the speaker's office, the same speaker that didn't have 562 heard. Uh, it's not because he doesn't support single payer health care or he was, you know, trying to kill the bill uh, for personal or political reasons. It's because some simple questions that were asked at the time simply weren't answered, including, well, what are you going to do about the constitutional issues, the GAN limit, Prop 98, what have you? What are you going to do about funding? What's your plan? And it was, there was just radio silence at the time. And so, you know, the speaker has, I think, correctly pointed out that uh, it, it was more political theater uh, and not a genuine effort. And that wasn't the fault of the nurses. I'm working with the nurses now. They were just as sincere then as now. But at the end of the day, what, what the, the, the bill made it through the Senate was dropped in the assembly and there wasn't any additional follow up from that. In this case, not only do we have a, a good, in fact, a better policy bill because we have more cost containment built into the bill. That's because of feedback we've gotten over the years from the health committee and other stakeholders. Uh, we also have a separate bill that has been introduced. Um, the more difficult part of it, which you know, dealing with the, fi the financing and the taxation and the funding. So I, I hope that shows to folks that this is a serious effort. It makes it that much more difficult to move forward because the industry uh, is throwing everything at it. I had uh, I got dozens of text messages today from friends that got a mass spam text from the industry uh, telling them that how much you know, I'm trying to raise their taxes and how much healthcare I'm trying to take away from them. So, you know, they're spending a lot of money uh, demonizing me, attacking me, personally attacking me, as well as other uh, co-authors of the bill, um, you know, because they don't want to have this debate. Because the reality is that if you stick me on a, a debate stage with some of these corporate executives, they'll lose. The uh, the politics comes into everything in Sacramento and policy, or almost everything. And this year, it's an election year, obviously. And most people, I think, at least the ones I talk to, want some form of universal health care, single payer, however defined, as opposed to the system we have. But in an election year, um, does the dynamic change at all? For example, is there a general feeling in the assembly that this bill is going to be successful? Uh, and if it is, does that mean it gets more votes? Or if it's not, does that mean someone could do a protective vote, vote for it, knowing it won't go through, but then be able to go home to constituents and say, hey, I voted for this good issue. How does the politics play into this, you think? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, in the assembly, it's, it's almost always an election year, right? I mean, either it's an election year or you just got elected 
to the assembly or just got reelected. So yeah. you know, our two, we have two year terms. So it's, you know, in, in some sense, everything we do is being watched in a, uh, from a political lens more so than a senator that might have four years and they have more time to recover from whatever decision they make or whatever bill they sure. support or object. Anyway, that being said, it's, you know, I, it's hard to say. I, I, I don't know if anyone can really predict today, even though, you know, we, have, we really at this point, you know, have days left uh, of whether this will be, this will get to the assembly or not. We're having a lot of great conversations with colleagues, answering a lot of questions, uh, a lot of really good questions from colleagues and, and, and earnestly asking about the policy, about how it interplays with the, the funding bill, how, you know, the federal government response and the waiver process and all that. So I can honestly tell you that um, I, I think that we have a legitimate shot at getting the votes, but I can't tell you as I you know, sit here today that, that uh, this is sure. going to be successfully voted on uh, on the assembly floor. Do you got any sense where the where the governor is in all this? Now, I've, I've read stories that say, you know, where he said he hasn't read the bill. I understood during the campaign earlier on, he had supported single payer health care. Not quite sure where he is now. Ultimately, if it gets out in whatever form, it's got to go to his desk. Uh, you get any sense of where he's at on this? Has he communicated to you at all as the as the author where he is, or how's that work? No, I, you, I you, you can tell me, and we'll only tell a few thousand, no. so it's okay. <laughs> I, I, I haven't uh, heard from the governor. You know, he has my cell phone; he can always call me up. But that being said, look, this bill was introduced in February. Um, it, you know, to a lot of fanfare and publicity. I mean, this is not something that we've done in a kind of behind closed doors kind of manner. Uh, yeah. I reached out to his administration when the, the bill was introduced um, to let them know that, look, I've introduced this bill. I'm, 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 uh, I'm very interested in engaging uh, with the administration. Um, at that time, that's, you know, they, they saw that as, I guess, premature. And so if this gets to the assembly, hopefully it's not premature anymore and we can actually have those conversations. But look, we're a co-equal and separate branch of government, uh, you know, that my, my concern right now is trying to get this bill through the legislature and, and answer questions from my colleagues and um, try to get it to an up or down vote. And knowing that some of my colleagues will be opposed, some will be some will be supportive, some I'm not quite sure at this moment. Do you have any sense about um, uh, about the size of uh, California's ability to handle this size of a bureaucracy? I had read, I think it was George Skelton column. He said, man, you're talking about this huge bureaucracy and California's track record on this really could stand some improvement. Now it's true, we have Medi-Cal, which is enormous. And I think 14 million now, last I read, clients or patient clients, I guess. Uh, we have Covered California, which is an enormous portal, which handles lots of coverage and interacts with the public. You think California can handle CalCare, which may be double the size of everything, anything we've tried so far? Absolutely. We're the fifth largest economy in the world will have the bargaining power of 40 million people. Is it, will it be easy? But no, none of these trans transitions are necessarily easy. Um, we probably should have done it back in the 50s and 60s as a nation, but we didn't. Uh, and uh, as pointed out, from resistance from the same organizations, same groups that oppose, they, they oppose Medicare, right? I mean, so we're talking about, you know, now that now they'll make the argument, don't, don't, you know, come after Medicare, don't change Medicare. They opposed it and, and they oppose expansion of it. So, uh -huh. You know, the reality is that, um, you know, this is not EDD or DMB. This is not an operation of the system. You'll still have the same private and public providers. It's just who pays for it. And, you know, we do have Covered California. We do have Medi-Cal. We do have Medicare. We have systems in place to pay providers. Uh, mm -hmm. And we'll be able to pay them a lot better than Medi-Cal. 
Uh, a big problem with Medi-Cal is that it pays it, it for some services at 60 to 70% of Medicare. It's underpaying our providers, and that's why you don't have enough providers taking it. Yeah. And that's why in underserved communities and rural communities, there isn't the same access to health care. Uh, so just having access isn't enough. We're still leaving a lot of folks out. And let's keep in mind, the number one reason for family bankruptcies in this country, including here in California, are medical bills. And that ratio has not changed with the Affordable Care Act. People are still going broke. 30% of those on Cover California are on the bronze plan. What's the bronze plan? Bronze plan is an $8,200 deductible, $16,000 deductible for families. So you may think that's accessible. I don't think that's accessible for those families that are already choosing the bronze plan because they can't afford anything higher. Yeah, I know reimbursements to doctors. Um, the physician reimbursements has been a huge issue for years here. And they've been fighting for as long as I've been around here for better reimbursements through Medi-Cal for physicians. And a lot of physicians do not accept Medi-Cal, at least some do, do not accept Medi-Cal patients. Uh, would that same kind of system, is it a reimbursement system that would be in effect if CalCare existed right now? If a physician provides care, how is that physician reimbursed? How's that handled? They'll be reimbursed by CalCare and it won't be at a low rate like Medi-Cal. Um, it won't be you know, through a, a corporate bureaucratic mess that currently exists where you have a multi-payer system with over a hundred different payers, you know, doctors and, and have to literally hire full three, four, five staff sometimes to their offices to deal with insurance companies alone. Doctors have to be on the phone with the insurance companies trying to get treatments approved of and trying to get reimbursed for their services. So uh -huh. I, I think that one thing is that when we talk about what we're trying to move to, let's see where we are now. And where we are now is a complete mess. Uh, we have insurance companies that nickel and dime doctors that, is, that, that you know, treat um, patients as commodities because they are to them. You know? And so we have a horrible system that currently costs employers $20,000 a year for insurance for one of their employees to have family insurance, $6,000 a year for individuals. And, and so that's, that's a, in addition to having deductibles and co-pays. So, you know, we're, we're, we're letting, letting this industry dictate the terms and conditions of our healthcare system in a way that profits them, allows them to care for healthy patients. Uh, and, you know, the, the most expensive patients then have to fall under Medi-Cal or, or Medicare. And so, you know, it ends up putting a huge burden on the taxpayer, not to mention bad employers that, you know, a lot of workers don't work two, three jobs because their employer like Walmart will only hire them for 20 hours a week because they don't want to pay for health insurance. So we then have to take up, pick up the tab for Medi-Cal or the covered California subsidies. And mm -hmm. so ultimately the system we have is the most expensive in the world, the worst outcomes of any wealthy nation in the world. It does, it, it leaves a millions um, out of care. It leads to the highest medical bankruptcies in the, in the world. Most countries don't even have medical bankruptcies and we're being told that we don't that the status quo is okay and it's unconscionable you know um do you get any sense about whether some people like the health care they have for whatever reason i understand about half more than half of those people in california who are covered by health insurance get it through their employers it's employer based in some fashion um but to people who like the health care they have now would they be required to change would, they be, would everybody go to the new CalCare system or is there, I don't know what you'd call it, an opt-out for yeah, people who like what they've got? We want to get rid of employer-based healthcare because it's it's not a system that makes any kind of sense. Nobody mm -hmm. designing a system when it was connected to health to employment. And that's why during the pandemic, 
the worst time possible, millions lost their health care. I mean, it makes no sense, right? And so what I would say to folks is the, if you like your health care, you will continue with your health care, the same doctors, the same hospitals, the same clinics, just whose paying is different. My father's on Medicare. He's been, he's been on Medicare now, what, 13 years. He's going to the same doctor, the same hospital network, same clinics, same cardiologist, same for you know, 30, 40 years, he's been going to the same ones. That didn't change when he went on Medicare. Mm-hmm. Only thing that changed is Medicare pays for it, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, this, this sense that somehow this illusion that we somehow have a choice now that's going to be taken away uh, is comical because the reality is that you have to stay in your network. You know, talk to Kaiser patients about, you know, how much freedom they have to go outside the Kaiser. Well, they don't. We want to get rid of the out-of-network and allow the doctors and the, the healthcare systems to focus on patient care. And in fact, Kaiser, yeah, Kaiser opposes because of the money they make on the insurance aspect of their business. But the Kaiser system actually works really well with CalCare to have global budgeting and to have an integrated system actually works really well with how CalCare is set up. Well, let me ask you one, just one last question. If uh, AB 1400 was approved and ultimately becomes law, when would the funding when would that constitutional amendment, do you think, go on the ballot? What is the expectation for that? Well, honestly, the best case scenario would be 2024, a presidential election cycle. And you get it up there. But that, again, a lot of things have to happen right for that to happen. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we, no one thought that this bill would be even able to get to the floor of the assembly, the policy bill. So we've been working really hard and um, you know, we have to remain hopeful and, and optimistic. Right. You know, let me chime in here before we before we jump off. So I had yeah. two things that I saw uh, looking through your background. One, I you know I follow you on Twitter, and I love the post you have where you make dinner for your dad quite often. And I'm wondering, do you really make dinner for your dad basically every day? I try to. Um, I try to do it every day. I'm, I'm in Sacramento, uh, unfortunately, uh, so I can't do it every day. But when I'm not in Sacramento, uh, I make food every day, uh, and you know we'll make lunch. We'll have typically Indian food for, for dinner, lunch, I'll make sandwich, we'll have soup and sandwiches, or I'll make not, you know, some healthy nachos. Everything's vegan. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, it's not like we don't eat out. We certainly do. Uh, we'll go to a, you know, a, a pizza spot and I get it. Uh, and so, but yeah, I, I essentially try to cook something every day that's nice and healthy that uh, it'll be enough portions for a couple of meals. And so I like to mix and match so that he doesn't have the same thing in two meals in a row. So if I have leftovers, we'll have it like, you know, two, three meals later or something like that. That's very cool. I really enjoyed seeing that. I think I get the feeling a lot of people do. So that's that was one thing I, I've enjoyed. Second thing I really uh, learned that surprised me while preparing for this interview. Is it true that you are a fan of Iron Maiden? Oh, I love. OK, so I love Maiden. I, in fact, I used to have hair all the way down my back when I was in uh, college and into law school. So I was definitely a metalhead. And my, this is really interesting in, the, in my musical because I have a broad musical taste. 80s, I was into Maiden, Metallica, ACDC, classic rock, Zeppelin, Hendrix is still one of my favorites. So all that <laughs> stuff, from classic rock to, you know, some of the, you know, like Metallica's, or, or sorry, um, Motley Crue and stuff like that as well. Then in the 90s, I kind of transitioned to, 90s hip hop, which I still think is one of the greatest forms of music as well. Oh, you you must be uh, channeling your your David Quintana here. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so Quintana and I have talked about it a lot. He comes to me for suggestions for the back to session bash. And so, um, in any case, so I love 80s metal, 80s rock, classic rock from the 70s and 60s. Uh, I love 90s hip hop. 
Uh, I even DJed in the early 2000s, which was mostly hip hop, dancehall, R&B, uh, dancehall, reggae, and R&B. And so I have a wide range. That's great. Well, yeah, it was, I, I got to admit, you know, following you and you seem very, you know, low key and buttoned down. And then I was like, wow, Iron Maiden, that's pretty, oh, yeah, so it seemed old enough to like Iron Maiden. Maiden is still, <laughs> Maiden is still my, my, favorite, my favorite workout music. I love oh, excellent. I want to tell you, I want to mention, nobody comes to me for, David does not come to me for suggestions about the bash. I mentioned the cranberries and he almost threw me out of his office. So forget well, it. I mean, she did die, John. You've been, I know. And I keep telling him that. He's been dead for several he years. He can so. play the record. You know, he doesn't have to have a live. You know, <laughs> that didn't go over very well. So, <laughs> Jim, who was the last, who was the, who was the person at the bash who got in all that trouble? And then he I had believe to, it was Too Short. Too Short. Too short. Yeah. Were you a big okay. fan of Too Short? Yeah. No, I, I like Too Short. I like Bay Area hip hop as well. Uh, you know, East Coast, Bay Area. Definitely like uh, kind of the uh, Dr. Dre Snoop Dogg era as well. And so I, know, I, I think you're really missing a bet here by not getting Iron Maiden Metallica too short to cut some ads for you in favor <laughs> of single payer healthcare. Uh, you know, I mean, Iron Maiden where they're, they're from uh, the UK. Am I, so, I mean, I would think yeah. they would be in favor of single payer healthcare. Yeah, right. quite, they're well, well, I heard, I heard Abel Levine has been pretty vocal about, about single payer stuff. So we're trying to see, you know, that, that also helps with the younger generation. Although we don't have as much trouble with the younger generation there. I'm on TikTok as well. And so there is definitely a lot of support for CalCare uh, amongst the younger set. <laughs> well, Calvert, thank you very much. And by the way, don't follow any of our advice, okay? If you want to get reelected, <laughs> Capital Weekly is not the place for political advice. <laughs> believe me. So, thank, uh, you, Ashkover, thank you so much. Jim Foster, did you want to add anything? Or? Uh, no, thanks, John. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Assemblyman Ashkover, for joining us today. And now Tim Foster and I are going to go into our long-awaited feature, Who Had the Worst Week in California Politics? The Worst Week. Worst Week. Worst Week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and this one really wasn't that hard to come up, although we did have another one before. But this one, uh, Rita Sainz, who just stepped down as a director of the Employment Development Department, Economic Development Department. And um, she'd only been there a little over a year. But in the last week or two, there have been some just some awful stories coming about the EDD. One of them, one of the worst, is 345,000 accounts, EDD accounts. These are people getting benefits have been frozen as they try to figure out a fraud that has been estimated at between 20 billion, 20 billion and 31 billion. Uh, Tim, what do you think? Uh, well, just putting that in the perspective of having just had this conversation with Ash Kalra, uh, 31 billion would be uh, about 8% of the funding to have single payer healthcare in California, uh -huh. I think. So uh, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of dough. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. Um, 345,000 cases have been frozen, according to what I'm reading. But 27,000 of those are linked to fraudulent medical providers. We could have a situation here where fraudulent medical scamster, uh, scamsters are scamming the EDD using scamming benefit provider, uh, benefit recipients. I mean, there's this double whammy in the fraud that is really amazing. And medical pro providers, fraudulent ones, have been around California for years. The insurance industry has fought them for years. Uh, it's getting ugly over the EDD. One other thing, the feds want the it state. It started ugly at the EDD. It did, yes. <laughs> and one of the one of the things is the state uh, wants California to verify 
1.7 million self-employed people. Well, EDD doesn't have the software to do that, apparently, or doesn't have the capacity to do that, or has a very limited capacity. And that's another thing that's going to bedevil them going into this. So Nancy, for us, who's been there, I think a little over a year before that, she was in state government. Um, she was at the government operations agency. I think I don't know what they do, but if you know, send your cards and letters to us. We'll be happy to credit you. So wait, um, Nancy Faraz is the new person? Yeah, she's the new one that just got in. Okay. Uh, she was. Well, she, well, let's let's be honest. We don't know whether she had the worst week or Rita Sains who's getting out of there. <laughs> yeah, you're had right. the worst week. I don't yeah, know whether it's worse. Whether it's worse yeah. to have the mess on your watch or to have to clean up the mess, that's a good yeah. question. That's a good question. I think maybe, uh, yeah, you're looking at halfsies there. So um, anyway, so for what it's worth, uh, clearly Rita had uh, a terrible week. And we may be doing this in another couple of weeks on uh, Nancy. So oh. there you go. Okay. Well, we can't top that one. Uh, so again, this is John Howard. And both of us... Uh, say thank you for listening and we will talk to you next time around. Take care. Thanks, Sean. See everybody later. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot and we'll see you next week.